Greetings, brethren. Welcome to the Feast of Trumpets. And it certainly has been a volatile time recently, without question. But here we are with the Feast of Trumpets, and the Feast of Trumpets is one of the most important feasts in the Bible because it tells us specifically with all the prophetic things tied in together when Jesus and the saints are going to stand on the earth and bring the kingdom of God to this earth. However, if you read the command for the Feast of Trumpets in Leviticus 23, so if you'll turn there, we will read it. It doesn't tell us anything of the magnitude of the ultimate fulfillment of this day. So let's read it. Verse 23, Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of ram's horns. Now they had trumpets, silver trumpets, gold trumpets, and ram's horns. And ram's horns were used for war. So this day is a war feast. And you shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now we know this, that today we do not have animal sacrifices, but in our world today we bring offerings of value, and that value will be in the form of accepted monetary value. Now if you had to offer a heifer or a goat, or a lamb, that would be worth a whole lot more. They figure that on the hoof, a beef cattle is worth about $1,500. Now, I'm not saying that you should give $1,500. do not misunderstand me. But I'm just giving you an example of value. And offerings go all the way down to flower offerings, which would be those things of least value. So whatever you are able to give, what you want to give to God, and it goes to the church, and the church will use it to preach the gospel, to feed the flock, and to take care of the things that God wants us to do. So we'll take a pause and we'll take up an offering at this time. Now, why is the world in such a mess that it is in? And this is not the first time that the world has been in desperate shape. We know when Adam and Eve decided to go on their own and do their own thing and go their own way, and decide for themselves what would be good and what would be evil. They didn't understand that God created us to need Him. 
That's the important thing to understand. We need God. We need his laws. We need his commandments. We need his spirit. We need him to teach us out of his word, with his character, with his love, and everything that is there. However, when we go off on our own, and we think we know it all, and you expand that out to the whole world, then you see what's wrong with it. Here in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah writes, O Lord, I know, because what was he doing? He was bringing the prophecies to the people of Jerusalem, of the fall of Jerusalem and Judea, and going into captivity into Babylon because of their sins. So he knew. I know that the way of man is not in himself. Now, isn't that something? It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. And that's why when you look at the whole world, everyone is doing it and the evil is coming. Now, there was another time, and Jesus even mentions this in Matthew 24. There was another time when the world was like this. So let's come back to Genesis 26. And this led to the flood. And that was a great cataclysm. Or in the Greek, cataclysmos. See, because God has not gone way off someplace. He's watching over the earth. He's watching over all mankind. And especially his church. He judges individuals and he judges nations. And here, he judges the whole world. And that's going to happen again on the final feast of trumpets when Christ returns. Now, verse 5, Genesis 6. And the Lord saw, now I want you to think about this verse and all the details, and please understand this, the word of God will never, ever, ever, fail. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Now what happens when you have generation after generation after generation of going your own way, every man and woman doing what's right in their own eyes, under the guise and inspiration of Satan the devil. And he always comes as an angel of light to provide benefits which always lead to destruction. And now think of this. I want you to think how important this is. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yet just the way it is today. Look at the evil everywhere. We are seeing the closing in of Satan's complete 
deception of the whole world. And only God can rescue us from that. Now then, let's see how it affects a whole nation. Look at what's been happening this spring and summer in the United States. Let's come to Isaiah, the first chapter. And we will see the reason that it is in the condition that it is today is because everyone is doing what is right in his or her own eyes. Isaiah, the first chapter. Now, let's understand this as we go through. As God is dealing with the whole world, it's just like Paul wrote, that in him we live and move and have our being, and God has set the boundaries of the nations. And Jeremiah 18, God is judging the nations. And God is judging every individual, as we saw there in Genesis 6-5. Now let's see what Isaiah had to say to Israel and to Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord is spoken. And here's what he said. I've reared and brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. You read any part in the Old Testament, and you will see that when men leave the laws of God, trouble ensues then it's multiplied even more when they go after Satan the devil, who takes them even further into deep deprivation and war and perversion. So he says, here's the comparison. The ox knows his owner and the donkey his master's crib, but Israel, and we can put there the whole world, does not know me, my people do not understand. Now, what is the understanding that they lack? The understanding is this. When you leave the laws of God, there are penalties individually and collectively that come automatically. So that's why the world's the way it is, and this is why Christ has to return to rescue it. A sinful nation, a people burdened with iniquity, and think about all the iniquity that's going on. A seed of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they have gone away backward. Now, whenever you go away backward, you're going away into trouble and difficulty and pain and agony and death, individually and collectively. So God says, why should you be stricken anymore? Will you revolt more and more? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the top of the head, there is no soundness in it 
only wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, nor bound up, nor soothed with ointment. There's no way, because it's not in man or woman to know how to live separate from the laws and word of God. Now, those who keep part of it do better. Those who completely go after Satan the devil do worse. That's the contrast. But those who love God and are his begotten children, they're the ones who are walking in righteousness and in truth. And so we need to get this message out to the world. Because God said that if you don't do it, then he's going to hold us responsible. Your country is a desolation. Your cities are burned with fire. But not tell you what's going on? There it is right here. Strangers devour your land right in your very presence. And it is wasted as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion, you can apply that here to the ten tribes of Israel, the modern descendants today, and to America. You can apply it to any country when it comes down to this. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard and as a hut in a garden of cucumbers like a besieged city. Now, what does that mean? It means there's so much sin and evil going on. It's just like creeping vines, and it gets everywhere. Now, here's the good news. Here's the church. Verse 9, Except the Lord of old had left us a very small remnant, we would have been like Sodom, and we would have been like Gomorrah. Okay? Then he says, This is what he says to the rulers, because the rulers are responsible. And the rulers in the churches are responsible. And of course, they think fake Christianity is the truth. Well, you can't mix truth with lies and expect a good result. Because the lawlessness from the pulpit, as I have brought out many times, is the root cause of all the problems that we have in America and in the nations of Israel today. So he says to the rulers, Hear the word of the Lord, rulers of Sodom, and give ear to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. And they say, well, we're good people. He says, no, you are not. Now, they have their own ways of doing things. He says here, verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to trample my courts? Well, think of it this way. When they come before God on Sunday, who has required that? Men. Not God. When they have their Christmas and Easter and Halloween and New Year's and all of that, who has required that? Men. Not God. 
But who is behind the men? Satan, the devil. So he says, Bring no more vain sacrifices and incenses and abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assembly, and that's their Sabbath, which is Sunday. And they're so deluded they think they're doing the right thing when they're worshiping on the day of the sun. I cannot endure iniquity along with the solemn assemblies. Your new moons, your way of doing things, your calendar instead of God. Your appointed feasts, Christmas, Easter, etc. My soul hates. They're trouble to me. I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes. Because you don't come to God in real repentance. And then that followed up with baptism. And that followed up with a change of heart. That followed up with conversion. No, you just come and give your little mealy mouth three seconds. Oh, forgive me my sins, Jesus. I believe in you. I'm saved forever. And when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. And that is the blood of the innocents who are aborted, as well as the murders and killings and drugs and everything like that. But God always holds out repentance. Even if there's repentance, God will hold back. So he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil from your doing, from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Stop it. Learn to do good, because you have learned nothing but evil. Seek judgment. Reprove the oppressor. Judge the orphan. Plead for the widow. Uh, God says this. If you do that, he says, come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool if you are willing and obedient. You shall eat the good of the land. Have we passed that point? I don't know. How long do we have? We'll have to wait and see. But we need to stay faithful and remain close to God ourselves. Now let's come to Micah, the very first chapter. And here is a foretelling of what God is going to do. And we will see when we get to the book of Revelation, this is exactly what God is going to do. Verse 2. Hear all you people, everyone. Hearken, O earth, that means everyone in the world, and all its fullness, and let the Lord God be witness against you, even the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and will come down and tread on the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall melt under him, and the valleys shall split open as wax before the fire and as water 
waters are poured down from a steep place. All because of the sins of people. Now come over here to chapter 6. Let's see what God says. Because someone's going to say, Why is God going to do that? We're good people. Really? Chapter 6 and verse 1. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, contend with the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. O mountains, hear the Lord's controversy. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord is a controversy with his people. And with the whole world, we will see a little later on. And he will plead his case with Israel and also with the whole world. This is quite a thing that's going to take place when Christ returns. It's going to affect the whole world. So he says here, verse 3, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I made you weary? Testify against me. Tell me. And the first thing they will do is say, it's your law. Well, that's the problem. Everyone wants lawlessness, yet they want things to be good. Never, never happen. Okay? Let's see how this is going to affect, again, the whole world. Now, here in these minor prophets, we find some very interesting things indeed. Some, how shall we say, foretelling of what's going to happen when Jesus Christ does actually return. Here in Habakkuk, the first chapter, it says, verse 1, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? I cry out to you of violence and you do not save. Now that's what's going to happen. The people are going to do that. Why is this happening? Why do you show me wickedness and trouble? For destruction and violence are before me. And there is strife and contention rises up. Therefore, the law becomes ineffective. And a lot of people say, well, we want law and order. Now, they're so blindly educated and dumbed down into lawlessness that they will settle for nothing but destruction. And why is that? Because. The people have left God because it's just like Genesis 6. Every thought of the imagination of the hearts of men and women is evil all the time, continually. And it's heightened now with all the high-tech things that can bring to bear and the children are taught at an early age. And that's just the way that Satan wants it, because he wants to destroy the human race. They're going to have to pay a penalty, but God is going to save them. 
Therefore, the law has become ineffective, and judgment does not always go forth. For the wicked entraps the righteous. Therefore, judgment goes forth perverted. So he says, look among the nations, and behold, and be amazed and stunned, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, not even if it is declared to you. And we'll see what that's going to be like when we get to the book of Revelation. Let's see what's going to happen. Let's see how it's going to take place. Because this day of the Feast of Trumpets shows the power of God in the person of Christ and the holy angels. And after the resurrection, the saints. It's going to be a marvelous thing indeed. Let's see how all these things take place. Let's come to Isaiah 13. Let's see, here in Isaiah, we'll look at a couple chapters and then a little bit in Jeremiah about the things that are talking about the problems of the whole world and that God has a controversy with everything, with the whole world. And when you look at it too, you look at the churches of God, you look at Revelation 3, where it talks about the church that is lukewarm, even the things in the world have affected the churches of God. Think about it. How much has been compromised? Isaiah 13. Let's pick it up here right in verse 1. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. Now, today, it's Babylon the great, the whole world. That's why when you go to the book of Daniel, it starts out with King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire and the Chaldeans. And that's the head that goes all the way down through the body to the feet and toes. So when it says Babylon, don't think that it was just Babylon back there, because let's read and see what it says. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, lift up a banner upon the high mountain, exalt the voice to them, Wave the hand so that they may go into the gates of the nobles. Everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to understand. Now, a little sidebar. Today, they're putting up satellites that will be at lower levels so that everyone will be able to have visualization and communication that can go anywhere in the world. And God is making that known so there will be no excuse for anyone to say, Lord, why didn't you tell me? Now he said, verse 2, lift up a banner upon the high mountain, exalt the voice to them, wave the hand so that they may Go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my holy ones. Now these are his angels. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger 
even those who rejoice in my triumph to carry out the will of God to destroy the evil. The noise of a tumult in the mountains and of a great people, a tumultuous noise of kingdoms, of nations. The whole world is involved in this. Gathered together, the Lord of hosts gathers an army for the battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven. What do you think the rising of China is all about? the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole earth. Now think about that. The whole earth. So he says, How? For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. And we're going to see that in the book of Revelation. What absolute destruction is coming. And it's going to be awesome indeed. Therefore, all hands shall be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain like a woman who travails. They shall be amazed at one another. Their faces are like blazing fire. Now think about that for a minute, okay? Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel. People say, well, how can a God of love do that? Because that's punishment for the absolute rebellion against the God of love by those who don't love God, by those who hate God, by those who despise God. And it's coming. And because they will be cruel to the people of God. And there will be martyrdom again, so God brings cruelty upon them. Cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to make the earth a desolation, and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. Now, that's quite a thing, isn't it? But look what else happens. See, these things don't happen in a vacuum. It's not just one episode. It affects everything in the earth, everything in the solar system, and even the heavens. Verse 10, For the stars of the heavens and their constellation shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not reflect its light. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked, for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogance of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the tyrants. Now, it's going to be a carnage so awesome. But notice what it says about that. Verse 12. I will make man more scarce than gold, even man more than fine gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall move out of its place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and at the day of his fierce anger. Now that's quite a thing. Think about that. 
Now, let's come over here to chapter 24. Now, the book of Jeremiah is a tremendous book of prophecy covering so much of God's plan and put in such a way that unless you're willing to love God and obey Him, you can't understand it. Therefore, a lot of those who say that they know what's going to happen because they belong to this fake Christian church or that fake Christian church or this evangelist or that whatever other, they'll have part of it and then they'll go off and have it wrong. Isaiah 24. Let's see what we have here. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste and turns it upside down and scatters its inhabitants. Now, how's that going to work? That's something to think about. And as it is with the people, so shall it be with the priest and with the slave, so with the master, as with the handmaid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be completely laid waste. Now that is a tremendous thing to contemplate. It's going to happen. Laid waste. And utterly stripped for the Lord has spoken this word. Now let's understand something. In the whole Bible, if there are any skeptics out there or anybody who thinks that, well, this guy's getting carried away. Never has a single word that God has recorded in his Bible failed. Never. Not one. Jesus said, concerning his words of prophecy, Matthew 24, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. So it's going to happen. Verse 3, the earth shall be completely laid waste and utterly stripped. For the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and languishes, the earth withers and languishes. The proud people of the earth wither. The earth is defiled under its people because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, have broken the everlasting covenant. That's why. It's not this people are sinful or those people are sinful. It's not this cause or that cause. It's because right here, they have changed the laws, changed the ordinances. You go out, you look around, and you see how many people or churches or organizations want to love God and keep his commandments. Now, if everybody did that, we wouldn't have these problems. But you see, they think if they go in their own way that they can handle it. But they don't understand that if they don't go God's way, there's no way in them 
that they can go to direct their paths, as Jeremiah said. It just won't work. So God has to come in power and authority and to lay waste the world in order to save it. Let's go on. Verse 6, Therefore the curse has devoured the earth, because where there's a law and free choice, there has to be a penalty for rejecting it, and a blessing for keeping it. And they who dwell on the earth are desolate, therefore the people of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Quite a thing, isn't it? Let's see what Jeremiah said. Now, Jeremiah was given a quite a prophetic message to take. And it has to go to the whole world. And it has to go to all nations. Jeremiah 25. Now, we know that with this, this prophecy encompasses all the nations of the world. And so there needs to be a message going out today, which God is going to send out, which will be bringing this understanding and this warning to the world. We'll see what that is right here in Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, and let's pick it up here in verse 15. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to me. When God says, I say so, it's going to be done. There's no way that the word of God is not going to be fulfilled. Take the wine cup of this wrath at my hand. Now, the wrath of God we will see in Revelation 16. The seven last plagues. And leading up to that, all of the other things that take place. And cause all the nations to whom I shall send you to drink it. And they shall drink and reel to and fro and be crazed because of the sword that I will send among them. And I took the cup of the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me. Now this was in vision. He didn't go any place. This was in vision. And this is for our time. Then he lists all of them, starting in Jerusalem and going to the rest of the world. And he summarizes it here in verse 26. And all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, all the kingdoms of the world which are on the face of the earth, Now, that's as thorough a warning as you can get, right? And the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Now, this is a type of the coming beast of Revelation 13. Therefore, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink and be drunk, and vomit and fall, and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. And it shall come to pass, if they refuse to take the cup at your hand to drink, 
Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You shall certainly drink. For lo, I begin to bring evil upon the city that is called by my name. That's Jerusalem. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I will call for sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Now think on that. Remember those words. All the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. So there's a tremendous warning message that needs to get out there. What did Jesus say? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world to all nations, and then the end shall come. So this verifies it. Verse 30, And prophesy against them all the words, and say to them, The Lord shall roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar against his dwelling place. He shall give a shout like those who tread the grapes against all the people of the earth. All the inhabitants, all the people, that includes everyone. Now notice. A noise shall come from the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. Not just with his people, with the nations. All the nations of the world. And he will plead with all flesh, and he will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Now that's quite a thing. Now we'll see how that is going to be carried out in just a bit in the book of Revelation. Now continuing. And he will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be stirred up from the farthest corners of the earth, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be mourned, nor gathered, nor buried. They shall be as dung on the ground. Now we'll see how all of these things will transpire exactly as God has said that it would. Now the book of Revelation is laid out in such a way that it also follows the pattern of the holy days in Leviticus 23, which is quite startling indeed when you come to understand it, because Leviticus 23, no one would guess just by reading that, that Revelation would follow that pattern. That's another sermon, so we'll cover that a little later. Now, let me just say this before we go go through what you should know. If you do not have our series on Daniel and Revelation, 
a complete verse-by-verse study with charts, with everything laid out the way that it should be, according to the calculated Hebrew calendar. Now, the end time is keyed on the last week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And each week has seven days, and each day is a year in prophecy. And so, when we come to Revelation 6 with the seals being opened, and also we need to realize Revelation 5 tells us very clearly that only Christ is going to open the seals, and only that will be according to the command of God the Father. So the book of Revelation, when you understand it, is God the Father's revelation, which he gave to Jesus Christ, which Jesus Christ gave to John to give to the church. So we, at the end time, could understand. Because in the 12th chapter of Daniel, Daniel was told, that from his time forward, these things were closed until the time of the end. And at the time of the end, the wise shall understand. And the wise ones are those who love God and keep his commandments and who do the things that God delights in, who also understand the prophecies, not because we're any smarter than anybody else, but because we rely on the Word of God and the pattern of the holy days of God. So for those who don't keep the Sabbath or the holy days, they may understand some smidgens of prophecy, but not the book of Revelation. They may understand a part of it here or a part of it there. But a part here and a part there doesn't give you the full overall picture. So you need to get the Daniel and Revelation series. And you go through. It is accompanied with CDs. So there's a message with a transcript. And you go through the scriptures. And you go from Daniel all the way through to Revelation. And we have nice charts. So you can understand that last seven years. So with that said, what I want to do is tell you this. Revelation 6 comes to two full years into the last seven. And this is when Christ intervenes directly as we have seen by the prophecies we've already covered. So let's read it. Verse 12, Revelation 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as a hair of sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. We read part of that back in the book of Isaiah, didn't we? And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its untimely figs, when it's shaken by a mighty wind. 
Then the heavens departed as a scroll. Now this is going to be an awesome event. This is going to be a earth shattering and earth startling event for those who are still alive at that time. Because the majority of the deaths are yet ahead. The earth departed like a scroll that's being rolled together and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captives and the powerful men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now notice, God the Father is involved here too. Because the great day of his wrath has come, who has the power to stand? Now then, chapter 6 occurs on a Pentecost. And this is the saving of the 144,000 in the great innumerable multitude. The earth, as we've seen, with all of the earthquakes and everything that takes place, these things need to be repaired in order for the next part of the revelation to go forward. So from Pentecost to trumpets, that is a space of about four months and a week or two. Now then, that's the time that the earth will regroup and Satan will be telling them, no, 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 no. This is not Christ. This is the Antichrist. And we need to beware that there may be an invasion from outer space, which will happen. But not right at this point. So right at this point, The six seals have been opened, and then the seventh seal is opened, and the trumpet plagues come. And that starts on the Feast of Trumpets of the last year before Christ and the saints who have been resurrected will return to the earth to rescue the rest of mankind and start the kingdom of God, and the millennial reign on the earth. Here's what's going to happen before. Revelation 8. Remember, this starts on a feast of trumpets. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Then I saw seven angels stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Remember, we'll be raised from the dead at the seventh trump. We'll cover that in just a bit when we get there. But please understand, Book of Revelation is the only place in the Bible where there are trumpets in sequence that are blown one after the other to where we come to the seventh or the last trumpet. And that's when the dead will be raised on the Pentecost just before 
the last trumpets. Again, we'll see that. Verse 3, And another angel had a golden censer and came and stood at the altar. Now, see, all of these things start at the throne of God in heaven above and are carried out on the earth. Stood before the altar and much incense was given to him so that he might offer it with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne. All the saints are those who are living, the 144,000, the great innumerable multitude, and those who happen to be in a place of safety. And the smoke of the incense went up before God from the hand of the angel ascending with the prayers of the saints. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, when the millennium begins, the earth is going to be a whole lot different than it is today. That's going to be something to behold. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound their trumpets. Now, it's not men fighting against men. Now it is angels of God against men and demons. And who's the head of the demons? But Satan, the devil. This is when it really gets bad. Verse 7, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there was hail and fire mingled with blood, and it was cast upon the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now think of that. Think of what an awesome thing that's going to be. And the second angel sounded his trumpet, And there was cast into the sea, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures that were in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. These are awesome events to take place. And a third angel sounded his trumpet, and there fell out of heaven a great star, burning like a lamp, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the fountains of waters. Now the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died because of drinking the water because they were made bitter. And a fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was smitten, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, just like we read back in the book of Isaiah, right? And a third part of the day did not shine, likewise third part of the night. And I looked. Here, John is seeing this vision. And he said, and I looked, and I heard an angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa! Woe, woe to those who are dwelling on the earth because of the voices of the remaining trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound their trumpets.
quite a thing. First four come suddenly. One, two, three, four. Now then, the fifth angel. Fifth angel, here are the armies. And remember, they're the armies that come out of Europe and come down to the Holy Land. And they are there, and they're going to fight. They're the armies from the east. And we'll see that in just a little bit. This is going to involve all the armies of the world. And we will see God has a great surprise for these armies. Let's go ahead. Chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. And there was given to him, now star is an angel. This is an angel of God. The key to the bottomless abyss. Now, the bottomless abyss is the prison of the demons. So here, the demons are going to be let out on the earth in an incomprehensible number that has never been since the founding of the world. And he opened the bottomless a bit, and there went up smoke out of the, from the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the pit, and locusts came out upon onto the earth. From the smoke and power was given to them, as scorpions of the earth have power, and it was said to them, that they should not damage the green grass of the earth because it was burned up before. Now it's grown back. See, trees and plants, if there's water, they grow. Well, when it's dark and when it's cloudy and there are storms that are coming, so here's the green grass or any green thing or any tree. Only the men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. Who are the ones that have the seal of God in their foreheads at that time? The 144,000 in the great innumerable multitude. Right? And it was given to them that they should kill them, that they should be tormented five months, and their torment is like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So this is kind of like a super secret, demonic, high-tech weapon. And in those days men will seek death, but will not find it. And they shall desire to die, but death shall flee from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for war, and on their heads were crowns like those of gold, and their faces like the face of men. And they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like those of lions. They had breastplates like iron breastplates. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots drawn by many horses running to war. So this, this is quite a thing. And they had tails like scorpions and stingers, and they were given power to injure men with their tails for five months. 
Now notice verse 11. And they have a king over them. The angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And his name in Greek is Apollyon. Satan the devil. The verse 12 says, The first woe is past. Behold, after these things, two more woes are still to come. Notice what happens here. This is going to be something. Because these armies will be fighting for the control of the world. Now, it's going to involve all the mass armies from the east, all the way from China and India, Southeast Asia, Uzbekistan, Yabekistan, all of the Kazakhstans, Iran, and all the armies. They're going to be strung out from China clear to the Euphrates River. A massive thing indeed. Never before anything like this. Okay? Now verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And it said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Loose the four angels who were bound in the great river Euphrates. Now think about that. God has four angels in the river Euphrates bound there until this time. Now these angels are demonic angels, of course. Then the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, listen to this. Is God on time? Yes, indeed. The hour, the day, the month, and year were loosed so that they might kill a third of men. This is going to be awesome. Like the Bible says in the Old Testament, the, the dead will be strewn out from one end of the horizon to the other. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200,000, and I heard the number of them. Now that is 200 million. Now, that's an awful lot of armies. It's not one single army. Many armies, many armies strung out. From the far east all the way to the river Euphrates. And so I saw the horses in vision and those who sitting on them. And they had fiery breastplates like Jasonus and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And fire and smoke and brimstone shoot out of their mouths. By these three, a third of men were killed. And the fire and the smoke and the brimstone that shoot out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouths, for their tails are like serpents, and have heads, and with them they inflict wounds. But the rest of the men who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of their works, the works of their hands, that they might not worship demons 
and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which do not have the power to see nor to hear to walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thieveries. Quite an awesome thing to take place. Now think of this. Armies coming over toward Jerusalem. The army's already there in that area from out of Europe and out of the Muslim countries there, waiting for the clash. Now, we will see a little later, the final battle is going to be in the Valley of Megiddo, or Armageddon. And that is a vast, flat plain. We'll see that in just a little bit. Now, let's come to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a very interesting one. Very short chapter, but there are some things here that are going to be so awesome. Let's see what's going to happen. Verse 1, Then I saw another strong angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and with a rainbow on his head. And his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book that was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. And cried with a loud voice as a lion roars. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke with their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say to me, seal the seven thunders, what they spoke, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I had seen standing on the sea and on the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives into the ages of eternity, who created the heavens and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. And here's what he said. There shall be no more delay. It's going to continue. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God shall be completed. According to the gospel that he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke again and said, Go, take the little book that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it shall make your belly bitter, but your mouth shall be sweet as honey. So I took the little book out of his hand, and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But after I ate it, my belly was bitter. And he said to me, You must again prophesy against many people and nations and languages and kings. A final warning. Now, how that's going to be done? We don't know. But we'll find out when that time comes. 
Then we have chapter 11, which is about the two witnesses. Now, it's very interesting about the two witnesses. They have a ministry that lasts 1260 days. They're to witness against the beast and the false prophet. There is going to be another temple built, the Jewish temple. And that's the one that the abomination of desolation occurs when the beast power goes into the Holy of Holies and declares himself to be God. And there will be a fierce battle between the two witnesses and the beast and the false prophet, just like there was between Pharaoh and his court and Moses and Aaron. And the two witnesses during their ministry can call down plagues and fire and whatever any time that they will. Now this is prophesied of in Zechariah 3 and Zechariah 4. So a little sidebar, don't let any minister fool you that he's one of the two witnesses. There is a man who did that some time ago. And he finally revealed that his wife was the second one. But understand, everything to do with Jerusalem and to do with the temple is going to be handled by God, and he's going to select the two witnesses. One will be the high priest of the coming temple. The other will be the governor of Judea. All right? So when they completed their witness... They're going to be killed. And the world is going to be so happy that they're dead. They're going to leave their bodies in the streets of Jerusalem so all the world can see it. Their world is going to be happy and rejoice and give gifts to one another. Then after three and a half days, after three and a half days, they're going to stand up on their feet Verse 11, the spirit of life from God shall enter into them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. Now think about this, fulfilling the word of God. These are the last two martyrs, but guess what? They fulfill the verse, the last shall be first, and they are the first two resurrected. Then I heard a great voice from heaven say, Come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them rise. And in the same hour there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand men were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were filled with fear and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes immediately. And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. Boom! There you go. And this is the last trumpet. This is the first resurrection. This takes place on the last Pentecost. And all the saints are raised. All the prophets are raised. All the righteous kings are raised. And we all are carried by angels up to a vast sea of glass right over where the battle of Armageddon is going to be.
And they're going to look up there and they're going to see, look at that. Invasion from outer space. And then what's going to happen? All right, we will see it. Right here, Revelation 15 and verse 5. See, because now we have from Pentecost to trumpets. And that's when the seven last plagues are poured out. So let's read it. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and seven angels who had the seven last plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in linen, pure and bright, and girded about the chest with golden breastplates. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven vials full of the wrath of God who lives into the ages of eternity. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter inside the temple until the seven last plagues of the angels was fulfilled. So here we have the world now being stricken by God again. And we'll see they don't repent. Now think about all of the devastation that has occurred. Now, you might get just a little bit of understanding of what this is like. If you ever saw the destruction of Berlin by the Russians coming into Berlin and the fight that was there, they fought against all odds but lost. And Hitler and his entourage were down in a bunker. They knew that the end was coming, but they wanted all people who could even walk and hold a gun to go fight. So it's going to be the same kind of attitude here in Revelation 16. I heard a loud voice from heaven say to the seven angels, Go and pour out your the vials of God onto the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his vial onto the earth, and an evil and grievous sore fell upon the men who had the mark of the beast and upon those who were worshiping his image. Sidebar, mark of the beast is coming. The second angel went out and poured out his vial into the sea, and it became blood, like that of a dead man. And every living soul Interesting. In the sea died. All living things are souls. There's no such thing as an immortal soul. All right, verse 4. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and in the fountains of waters, and they became blood. See, now what was done to them before was all washed away. So here comes a, another wave of it. Now, Someone reading this would think, oh, how could a God of love do that? Well, let's see what the angels have to say about it. They would be the ones to render a better opinion of that than any human being, don't you suppose? Verse 5, then I heard angel of the waters say, you are righteous, O Lord, who are and who was and who even the Holy One 
in that you have executed this judgment. For they have poured out the blood of the saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Then I heard another voice from the altar say, Yes, Lord, God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial into the, upon the sun, and power was given it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has authority over these plagues. And they did not repent to give him glory. Isn't it interesting how it is that when men give themselves over to, to Satan and the demons, that even in a time when they know they're going to die, they won't repent. And a fifth angel poured out his vial upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Yet they did not repent of their works. No repentance. Now notice, again, now remember the four angels were bound in the river Euphrates. Then the armies came over, and then the river started flowing again. So now here later, we have a repeat of this. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial into the great river Euphrates, and its waters were dried up so that the way of the kings of the rising of the sun might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the great beast power, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For these are spirits of demons working miracles, going forth to the kings of the earth, even of the whole world, to gather them together to the battle of the great day of the Almighty God. Now, after all of this, you would think that they, there would be people repenting, but there's not. Why? By this time, they're probably convinced that this is really an invasion from outer space. And unless we get all the armies of the earth up over here, we are going to lose the world, which is really true. It will be an invasion from outer space, but not from aliens, but from God, the Father, Jesus Christ, and the saints of God. Now, when you read along these things, every once in a while, God throws something in there to catch your attention, to help you to understand you need to really stay right with God. Verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is the one who is watching and who is keeping his garments, so that he may not walk naked, but that they might not see his shame. Now then, just interjected that one verse is a warning. Keep your life right with God. Now verse 16. And he gathered them together in a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial in 
to the air. And a loud voice came from the temple of heaven, from the throne saying, It's finished! Yes, indeed. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and it was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were on the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Just think, all these high tower buildings, boom, gone. I look at the island there in New York, Flat Island. Hear all these buildings there. That's nothing to God. It's going to be God. Tallest building in the world in Abu Dhabi is going to be God. The tallest building in Singapore is going to be God. The tallest building in Beijing is going to be God. Flat to the ground. Then there were voices and thunders and lightnings, great earthquake, we read that. And every island and every island disappeared, and no mountains were found, completely turned upside down. And great hailstone, each the weight of a talent, fell down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, for the plague was exceeding great. Now let's see what happens here in chapter 19. Because this is the day when Christ and the saints all come back to the earth. See, they're up on the sea of glass as we find in Revelation 15. Then on the sea of glass, everybody gets their, their name, their new clothes. They get their uh, understanding of their duties and when we're raised from the dead, we'll all be given a language built right into our spirit brains and our spirit bodies so we can communicate with each other and God can communicate with us and Christ can give us the directions we need to go and what to do. It's going to be something. Then there will be the wedding of the Lamb and Christ, Christ and the church. And then we're going to come down from heaven after the supper, great wedding supper. All this evil is going on the earth. Then on that last feast of trumpets, we come back to the earth to finish the final battle of Armageddon. So let's pick it up here in verse 11. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knows except him. And he was clothed with a garment dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies in heaven were following him on white horses. Now we'll be given white horses. We'll have instruction what to do. We'll have a battle plan, what to carry out, and so forth. And they were clothed with fine linen, white and pure. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he smite the nations, 
and he shall shepherd them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the wrath, a fury and wrath of Almighty God. And on his garment and on his thigh he had a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Boy, that's something. Now just picture this. Here we are. We have our horses. Here's Christ leading us. We're all at the edge of the sea of glass. And then the rest of the army, those who were behind him. And he says, now, let's go. So here we go. Just think about how that's going to feel. Coming down off the sea of glass. All the saints with us. The battle going on down below. And we're coming down and the birds that are coming to clean up all of the mess are flying and coming there. Okay, and we're coming down on our horse, down with Christ. So just picture that, okay? Now, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God. Got to clean up this mess. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of chief captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of those who sit on them, the flesh of all, free and bond, small and great. And I saw the beast. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war with him who sits on the horse and with his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet who worked the miracles in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image, and they too were cast alive into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed by the sword of him who sits on the throne. And the sword is his word. We find in Zechariah 14, what's going to happen to them? All of their flesh is going to fall off their bones. So this is the meeting of the Feast of Trumpets. A war feast for the greatest war. And the last one until the very end. So brethren, glad you're able to be here for the Feast of Trumpets Now let's look forward to atonement and tabernacles. So until then, so long, everyone.